Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I'm Lewis Griggs, and uh, I live in Berkeley, California, and I grew up in Minnesota. I spent 10 years in the East Coast uh, during and after college, and I moved to San Francisco and about 40 plus years ago. So that's a short version of where I've been. And in the process, all three of my near-death experiences I'm going to share with you happened here when I lived in San Francisco and in Berkeley. And so as an intro before I had my first one, let me tell you that while I lived in the East Coast, I worked in politics two years and a startup for two years and in public television for two years. And then uh, I fell in love with a friend who was in San Francisco. And so I moved from public television in Boston to public television in San Francisco. That was easy and drove across the country. But the reason I'm giving you that intro is that in all of those different jobs, I felt like they aren't quite right for me. And I really didn't know what I was gonna do when I grow up. You know, even though at that point I was already 26 or seven, something like that. And so it didn't surprise me when I had my first near-death experience. Because I was sort of asking myself and the universe or God or whatever you like to imagine it, what's my life purpose? I didn't really know. So... I was driving my car in Berkeley and I went through an intersection where there was no stop sign and I totaled my car. Now there's a stop sign there. <laughs> so I don't want to blame the other driver or me, but it happened. And in totaling the car, my first experience was that I, now I'm talking about I, my soul, because I, I have perfect memory of what I'm going to share with you now. And which is very interesting because it's something science doesn't yet know. If perfect memory is in the brain and the brain is in the body and the body is in the car and what I'm going to share with you now was all the way in the light, then where's memory? You know, what's consciousness? Science and spirituality aren't, don't match yet. And there are spiritual people who believe in science for what we know. And there are scientific people who are spiritual and they're comfortable with the gap. But we do keep learning things, you know. I mean, just imagine 
the day when one of us thought the Earth was flat and the other thought it was round. And science couldn't yet prove either. So that's where we are with out-of-body experiences. Science doesn't yet have it down, okay? Which is okay. So what happened when I totaled my car in Berkeley was that I immediately left my body and went through what we call a tunnel, many of us who've been out. And instead of stopping and watching the accident, which many people have shared, probably with you already, or instead of watching the surgery or something, or instead of meeting deceased loved ones, my experience included none of those. I just went right through the tunnel at high speed until I stopped in what I call, because words aren't enough, the entire source of all knowledge, all consciousness, all light, all love, and the source from which we all come. If you believe that we have souls separate from our bodies, and that's why there are different words, and even if you believe in prior lives or not, I've had two prior lives that I am aware of, one with my existing daughter. So I'm very open to sharing with you what for me feels true. And that is this time, my soul in this body, a straight white male American, that I was at the source from which the soul comes before it goes into our body. And it's the same source through which we go when we leave our bodies and die, in my opinion, that's not scientific, that's my experience, okay? And I've helped my parents go and told them that, and they went with ease, okay? So in the source of all this light and power and energy and spirit and love, it just felt amazing to finally be where there is no conflict at all. And while I was feeling such peace, I heard a voice. Not everybody does hear a voice and have a conversation with God. But I did. Call it what you will. The book calls it that. But nevertheless, it was a voice. Now, the voice was one I could hear in my language. So it's interesting for me to point out that whatever voice any of us hears is a voice we're able to hear, of course. <laughs> and so this male voice made it very clear to me and now I can quote I haven't changed it anytime I've ever told shared this story this voice said to me very clearly Lewis you are called here to have this conversation and to be sent back because you're not doing your work <laughs> so I um, raised my hands as if take me I'm yours I'll do your work and the answer was, no, Lewis, it's not my work you need to do. It's your work. And I asked, well, what is my work? And because since I was in the space where all knowledge is known, and I was talking to whomever it was, God, Jesus, the source, who knows what one believes. But it felt to me like it was the voice of Jesus. And I said, well, I don't know what my work is. And I was asked the question, very key question, what is it that keeps you from being all you're capable of being? Not doing. I happen to have been raised with privilege and well-educated, and I could do almost anything I want. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
Well, that's because I hadn't figured out yet who I was at the core, what I really wanted to be, what work I wanted to do to serve. And so when I was asked, what is it that keeps you from being all you're capable of being? My most honest answer, which I had to look very deeply to find was, well, given how I was raised with the privilege and education, I was told we're all one under God by wonderful, loving parents. But here on earth, you have privilege and noblesse oblige, as the French say, you must give back. You're better. You're not a better human soul, but you, you're better because of all the privilege and education, so use it. Well, just being told that I'm in a way better, the way I discovered was meant by that wasn't, it's a two-sided coin. It's not only that I had enough privilege and education to have more opportunities than others, but what comes with that privilege if you're in a 14 generation all Anglo body since the Mayflower, like I am, and if your family's been very successful, well, there an ethnocentrism gets created often if you're not more than monolingual, if you haven't traveled a lot internationally. I know if you weren't raised in a bicultural, bilingual family, then my, I discovered my ethnocentrism growing up in the Midwest of this continent was so deep that I didn't know how to do any of the bridging between myself and anybody different. And I was told by this voice, like the best moment in that movie, Amadeus, when Mozart hit a perfect note and went, there it is. This voice said, there it is, Louis, there's your work. That's what you are called to do. The work that helps you become all you're able to be. And I like using the word be because I have to be my authentic self in order to do anything as successfully compared to just doing without any authenticity and core self. So the biggest learning in this the white light experience, which I do talk about in my TED talk also, the gift of near death, was that I was suddenly called to learn how to do the cross-cultural bridging and to teach others how to do that. And I was sent back down through the same tunnel. I remember coming into my body completely like those tight rubber gloves surgeons wear. And this white light left this total automobile. And I walked out of the automobile undamaged and told the ambulance there was no problem. But my life changed immediately. I started to notice doors open that I had nothing to do with. That was a learning for the white boy who opened doors that I wanted. Uh-uh. Doors started opening I had nothing to do with, and I knew I was supposed to enter. And to make a long story short, with my global wife and some business meetings where I didn't know what the other culture was thinking because they were speaking their own language and my language and they had more power than I did, I realized, wow, this is exactly my biggest weakness, is that I'm not bilingual or bicultural or, or know how to relate to people who are different because they've all had to learn how to relate to me. That was my greatest weakness. And therefore, with my global wife, we started the first diversity training in the U.S. 
uh, and made videos called Valuing Diversity and workshops and seminars and all that. All of which was created by being in the light to discover what my life's purpose was. So that was the big one and the most amazing one, or so I thought. Now I'll be briefer about the other two. But 20 years later, after running very successfully my diversity training company, I went on a whitewater river trip with my two children. And a 100 foot tall cottonwood tree fell off the edge of the river as we were going by and landed on my head and my son's. And we're all okay now. But my son was perceived to be dead and drowned face down in the bottom of the raft, which was full of water. I was perceived to be dead with the tree on top of my head on the edge of the raft, but the raft was stuck because the tree was holding it with the roots still connected, sort of, and the water going by. It sounds strange, but that's what happened. And the reason I'm willing to call that a near-death experience, whereas the first one, there was no damage, so I wasn't near death. They call it perfect near death because it's where we go when we die. And I had the white light experience and the conversation with God. So words are just words. This one would people would call a transformational experience or something. Because once I discovered I was alive and I had no memory of when I wasn't in my body this time, I did on my first and I will on my third. But this one was just as profound because in the first week of trying to relearn how to walk, read, talk, I didn't know who I was or my parents or my wife or my kids or my friends. And the left frontal lobe brain injury was so serious that I wasn't able to do anything. Okay. So an interesting truth happened and wonderful learning. While I was trying to learn how to walk, I felt at my core self, if you can use the metaphor of a tornado or a hurricane, where nothing happens in the center. I realized that my center, call it my core, call it my soul, if you wish, in all chakras, if you wish, my center, even though what went around it, to use the metaphor of the tornado, my body, physically, yes, the heart and lungs were working, I was alive, but I couldn't do anything with my body. I couldn't walk, much less play tennis, you know, or go out and speak in public or drive. And my brain was so damaged, I didn't know how to talk or I couldn't tell you the difference between a tree and a truck if you showed me a picture of each. So I had to do three years of hospitalized brain injury recovery. But the learning I want to share with you is that in the first week is when I discovered inside this body and mind that could no longer do anything was 100% light and love and energy and spirit. The same energy, the same light that is in all chakras and is fed through the eighth chakra by the source. So I had that experience where we, I discovered we were all one, came from the same source. And then we land in these diverse bodies, the only diversity and the only DNA in the history of life on earth, right? So we are simultaneously one and uniquely different. That was my first great learning to take me into diversity training. And now I just was reminded that even without the left frontal lobe working, I couldn't do anything, but I and you and all of us are 100% light, love, energy, and spirit at the core. It is that simple. It doesn't mean it's easy because all the crises we have in our bodies and in our life experiences 
are also real, but they are not our soul. Our soul doesn't die, doesn't actually get injured and wounded and abused. We at the core are always pure light and pure love. Remember that, all right? Now, as if that wasn't enough, 20 years later again, just two years ago, I got diagnosed with stage three cancer, which means I had to do radiation, I had to do chemo, and for six months of chemo before I even did radiation, I caught COVID in 2020, the first COVID that we all heard about that was killing a thousand a day. And it goes so quickly to attack the heart and the lungs that I couldn't breathe within a week very well. And they couldn't even take me into ICU until I proved positive and it took a week to find out. Huh. But by the time I got to ER, my wife thought she'd never see me again. And they put me right into ICU and then right in under the incubator. And for 10 days, I was under the incubator. And this is when I had another out-of-body experience totally out there. And I was out there on a dome. I had several experiences, but the biggest one I want to share with you was the last two days when they told my wife they weren't sure they were able to keep me. My heart failed one day and my lungs failed another day. And all those two days out of the 10, I was on a geodesic dome. And if you picture the sides of it, it has all hexagonal sections. There were several of us there. I imagine it was all of us who were in ICU at Kaiser here in the East Bay, Oakland, California. And we had our arms and legs tied against four of those six corners, just like we had in the bed. So we couldn't pull all the tubes out of every orifice of our body where they had them. They even made new orifices, right, to put tubes in. Oh, it was terrible. But I was out of body the whole time. And on the dome, I noticed that in those two days, somebody came and unlocked these latches we were attached to, these hexagonal sections, and all of the other people went. They all died. And I was left alone. So I didn't yet know why I was left alone. I, I guess I was still hanging on to life. And that's what I felt like I was doing. So I, I trust this was a true an imagination that I was so close to dying that I said, I'm not going to die. I can't die. I had to hang on and I would have easily been able to let go at any moment. And I was very clear. I had to come back to love my wife and our children. And I had to come back to continue doing my diversity work, this time focusing mostly on other white men. We'd already watched the knee on George's neck and we'd seen other videos and yes, I didn't do the lynching in the South and it wasn't my knee on George's neck, but being a white male of privilege, I had learned humbly with not shame, but humbly that the privilege and the supremacy of opportunity wasn't really fair to everybody else. And it also was a disadvantage to the whole country, actually, a waste of human resources. And so this time I, in the dome, I said, I have to come back and keep working on white men, which is all I do now. I coach white men in the workplace or co-facilitate them in small groups with somebody who isn't white. But the out-of-body experience in the dome for 48 hours was amazing. First with everybody else, and then when they all die, 
I was alone for another 24 hours, wondering why did it, did, what's the reason I was alone? But I, I started to realize it must be because I haven't died yet and I'm not going to. And finally they let me in and they let me in to my body on my birthday. <laughs> and lightning had just struck and pouring rain and everything in the middle of August, my birthday, August 16th. And that was an amazing experience. But when I came back into the body, it took a long time to regain appropriate consciousness. I didn't really know where I was. I said, no, I hadn't been under the ventilator. I didn't know where my wife lived, I asked her. <laughs> I didn't know my age. So the damage from the chemicals that saved my life was real. And the damage from the virus that had damaged my lung and my heart. And I still have side effects, but you know what? The learning of that and every out-of-body experience is so deep and builds my spirituality and my oneness and my uniqueness so deeply that I can't complain about any side effects or when I tear a ligament in my knee, skiing or anything because I'm alive and I'm breathing and I've been in the light and I know where we come from. I know we're all one. I know we're uniquely different. And I know now we each have to be all we're capable of being in our uniqueness, wherever we are on the spectrum, whichever spectrum you're looking at. It's an amazing learning that we're all going through. And I needed to get hit that hard to get these learnings, whereas many people just do it with their meditation, you know, or whatever. But I needed these three major crises and spiritual experiences, two of them out of body and one of them after I was back in the body. So those are my deepest learnings. Those are my life crises. And if this were questions and answers, we could go on more, but we can't. So I want you to not just learn that those are the things that happened to me. I want you to take what you can use and leave the rest to imagine that if you've had those experiences or close to them, what did you get out of it? How to be all you're capable of being? And did you discover we're all one and we're uniquely different? So is there anything about my stories that helps you in your own path? That's the purpose for these, for which I'm really grateful. Thanks. That's all. Yeah.